Hi, this is Eugene Hernandez, publisher of Film Comment. Enlisted for today's Sundance Film Festival edition of the Film Comment podcast. In a moment, I'll be chatting with Sundance Film Festival Director of Programming, Kim Yutani. But first, I wanted to offer a little bit of context. I've been going to the Sundance Film Festival for nearly 30 years. My first edition was the 1993 Sundance Film Festival. I traveled there as a 20-something trying to find my way in film and independent film, and Sundance seemed like a place to do that. I was hearing a lot about the films and filmmakers that were coming out of this place called Sundance. And so I grabbed a friend and went to the festival and just, you know, in short, it really changed my it changed my life. It changed the, the trajectory of my professional life. I made friends that I still have today and found the collaborators who I would end up working with to create IndieWire, publication that I founded 25 years ago. Uh, it was a transformative experience, that first Sundance, and the festival itself has been truly special for me over the years. I've joked at times, many times, in the throes of covering and attending Sundance over the years, trying to get into parties, trudging through the snow to get to screenings, getting sick or catching the flu while in Park City. I've joked that it would be just so much easier if the festival took place in New York or L.A. or or if there was just a way somehow to to watch the films of the festival without leaving my house, leaving my apartment. Well, this is where we are this year. Sundance 2022 is, again, a virtual experience, just as it was last year. The pandemic has made it unsafe to attend in person this year. And so the film festival this year, the Sundance Film Festival this year, started with me heading to a screening in a theater, just like I would any other year, walking in the lobby, running into friends and filmmakers and industry types catching up on what's happening, comparing notes, and then settling in to watch a movie. Of course, what was unique about it is that movie theater was about 20 blocks uptown from my apartment where I live in New York. I was up at the Walter Reed Theater for a screening, for my first screening of the festival. It was snowing outside appropriately. And that was the start of this year's Sundance Festival. The filmmakers of the movie I watched had rented the Walter Reed uh, for a private screening for a few folks. So we watched the movie together. The lights came up. We gathered in small groups in the lobby to compare notes again and talk about other films we were seeing or looking forward to seeing. And then we made our way back to our apartments to watch more movies virtually. There's a terrific Sundance app available on Apple TV or on laptop. And this is how Sundance is taking place again this year. I did hear that there are some screenings happening, like the one I attended in New York. There's pop-up screenings in Los Angeles. There's even a few films that will screen in Park City privately. 
film teams that were planning to go there to present their films at the festival this year are still going uh, in small groups and watching their films together to celebrate their virtual premiere in Park City. So for the remainder of January, this is how the festival is taking place. Premieres all throughout the day and every evening. Folks are sharing quick takes and reactions and responses on social media. And then after the screenings, popping into the New Frontier spaceship uh, VR and online gathering space for live virtual conversation, uh, some other screenings and events, talks, and even some virtual film parties. In fact, on the first day, I even uh, hit up the spaceship to check out the world premiere of Sam Green's 32 Sounds, uh, an opening performance documentary at this year's festival that was available to anybody who made their way into the virtual spaceship. So this is the context in which uh, I had a conversation with Kim Yutani, director of programming at Sundance, just trying to get a little more background on, on her, on the festival, on the programming process, and some of what she has in mind as the festival gets underway virtually this year. We talked on the eve of the festival, and I invite you to take a listen to our conversation on this latest edition of the Film Comment podcast. We were talking internally about the upcoming Sundance Film Festival and how it how it really well, it, it sets the calendar, it starts the year. And while our contributors at Film Comment this year will be diving into the festival virtually and sharing dispatches uh, from, their, from their viewing, we thought it'd be interesting to sit down with someone who's shaped not only the experience of Sundance for a number of years, but is, is, uh, had, uh, I was going to say a heavy hand, but perhaps the heaviest hand in shaping this year's festival and the festival we're all experiencing this year, and that is uh, Director of Programming Kim Yutani. Welcome. Thanks, Eugene. Though I don't like to really think I have a heavy hand. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's definitely the work of, of a collective, and um, for that I'm very proud of. Well, good. Well, congratulations to you and that collective, and we'll dig into it. We'll, you know, we'll talk about the process of how you get to the lineup that we're all experiencing this year. But I, and I will talk about your own uh, background and history with the festival and just to get it out of the way. And as a way of plugging the festival, frankly, um, you can attend the Sundance Film Festival uh, virtually this year. You don't have to travel to Utah. You can travel to cities around the country that are showcasing some films in person, uh, or you can log on. And so you can go to sundance.org to check out and buy tickets or attend festival or panels or conversations or um, the mothership or whatever it's called. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Uh, you can attend, you can connect with people virtually. So we're going to dig into all of that um, as we talk about the 2022, in all seriousness, Sundance Film Festival, a festival that means a lot to me. I got my start at festivals in 1993 at Sundance. And um, Kim, I was uh, participating in a panel at this year's Sundance Film Festival. We actually just recorded it on the same day that we're recording this, this conversation that you and I are having. 
And we were talking as a way of diving in, we were talking about how we sort of frame or reframe or retell the history of Sundance, because there's so many threads that weave through creative threads, filmmaking threads, uh, individuals that weave through the history of the festival. And I was, it was having this conversation with Sterling Harjo, who's had a number of films at the festival, and he has a show called Reservation Dogs Now, Cheryl Denier, uh, who had a feature called The Watermelon Woman, and one of her shorts is playing, uh, one of her early shorts is playing at the festival, and Christine Choi, who's in a film called Exiles. And so, I don't know, I was thinking about how we tell and retell histories and how that's explored through the films that we see. We can all have different experiences at a festival based on the films that we see. To what extent, as we dive into it, to what extent do you think about, uh, as you and your, your, your team are, are curating and watching films to put together the lineup, to what extent are you thinking about some of the different, the different narratives that, that, that might emerge? Sundance is a bellwether, as I said earlier. It starts the year, it, it opens the conversation for the year. Do you feel that, do you feel these threads? Do you feel that pressure? How do you think about some of this? Yeah, I, I, I think we're in such a unique position to be at the beginning of the year, if you if you are in the film industry, you know where you're you're spending two weeks in January, essentially. And I think, you know, as as we are putting together a program in any given year, we're really looking at how artists are perceiving the world. Like I feel like every year I'm in just this amazing position of feeling like I understand what we've, what the, the, just the times that we're living in, in, in such a special way through our artists. And so I think each year as we, as we embark on this, this journey to create a program that it's, it's a process that we have to go through, go, go into with such open minds. And this is, this is sort of why I wanted to stress the group effort of, of how we program this festival, because I think that we're also deeply in tune with each other as we are watching work, processing it, processing it with each other. We're all such unique individuals coming together to put this festival together that then kind of sets the the tone for what's happening in in independent cinema in any given year and that is a responsibility that none of us take lightly so so let's dig into that the notion of what's happening in independent cinema let's let's deconstruct that that idea a little bit um because it's something, it's certainly something that I think about a lot. I've been thinking about a lot in the, I don't know, IndieWire turned, IndieWire, one of the, in a company that I helped found and started, it had its 25th anniversary this past year. And so I've been reflecting myself on this notion of independence, independence as it relates to cinema, independence as it relates to media, Sundance is exploring films and shorts, feature films and shorts and series. And I've had a chance to, uh, to sample a few of them already. Um, so starting with that, just that, that notion, Sundance, the Sundance Film Festival as an extension of the Sundance Institute and this commitment to exploring independent creativity, how do you interpret that? How do you interpret that for yourself? How do you interpret that for your, for your colleagues, for your teams, as you're setting the, laying the foundation for your process, which begins certainly many months ago, you started watching work probably 
a year ago, I'm guessing, or within the past, you know, almost a year ago, at least. I would say, yeah, that's that's <laughs> legitimate to say. You know, actually, Eugene, I want to go back to to IndieWire, <laughs> if I may, okay. yeah. <laughs> and just say that, you know, the work that you did was so influential to me. Um, and I really, I really see that the way that you covered the festival world, the in, independent film industry, that had, had such a huge impact on me. Um, and sorry, I'm getting a little choked up, but <clears throat> but I really feel that you inspired me to be in the job I'm at. So, oh well, that's. I'm going to get choked up because that's really moving to me. You know how important Sundance is to me, Kim. We've talked about it. Um, the festival shaped my own understanding and connection to and appreciation for and conversation with mm -hmm. so many artists. And I, you know, I tip my virtual hat to you and your team because it, for me, it really is. And for so many people I know, it, it really is uh, that reset every year. It's, my, it's an, I'll speak personally, it's an opportunity to reconnect with an art form that I care about, independent cinema, cinema, independent cinema, American independent cinema, international independent cinema. And the opportunity to do that once a year, whether in person in a theater in Park City or the last couple of years in my living room in front of my television, it's no less meaningful and significant and it's major the, the 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 notion of and the opportunity for discovery that you and your colleagues embark upon months in advance of us sitting down and talking about it now or watching movies you know continuing to watch movies when i when we turn off this recording it's it's significant so i appreciate the i appreciate the shout out but it's it goes both ways because i think that that you know, you sit in the you sit in the seat of of others who've been in that role and who have had such an important impact on how we process entertainment and and art and expression and culture. Um, and I'm I'm so proud to know that you are in that seat. You yourself are in that seat <laughs> to uh, to lead to lead that work. Um, and and I and I appreciate. I said this on the podcast I just recorded and I'll say it to you personally um, as well at the end we were talking about just all the all the, the labor of the, all the work that you and Tabitha and Gina and everybody every single person involved in this festival tried to try to make this festival happen in person this year and the fact that we're able to experience it virtually is is certainly uh, just a, just as much of a feat in itself so you know seriously congratulations to you I'm so happy for the work that you've been able to do and and just so um, glad to have the moment to talk to you now but also to just better understand sort of sort of where where we are as a, as a as a as a culture as it relates to to independent cinema, which is why I thought it was interesting to start with just this notion of independence and, and what it what it can mean to us, you know, as as a viewer and as, as someone who. So thank you and 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 yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I think I think that maybe one of the the saddest parts about not being in person this year is seeing our community in person again. Nevertheless, you know, I think we have been um, so creative about how we do um, come together. And I think that we are a community that we're bound together by our love of independent cinema and the work that 
artists are doing in this moment and the films that they're making. And that's what is so exciting for, for all of us is that we're seeing these films together, whether it be in the Egyptian on Main Street or on our TVs at home and, you know, texting each other. <laughs> so I think that that's such a, um, an amazing opportunity for all of us and that and something that we've all just really um, have embraced in this moment. Tell us how you start. Tell us how the process starts. So, you know, I, I joked about it a minute ago, but um, Sundance, for those who are listening, is a different kind of festival in that, you know, other festivals can can look to the work of those who have come before. And there's certainly some some familiar names at Sundance this year, but but at least what keeps me coming back, and and you mentioned IndieWire, what fueled the work that I did when I was there was this notion of discovery. Uh, and how, so tell us how you think about that uh, as it relates to not only a curatorial process, but actually sort of arc, as uh, kind of arc, architecting, building um, an entire kind of experience for this, for this 10 days. How does that notion of discovery fit into the sort of mission of what you're trying to do and how does it affect or influence your process as you're as you're embarking on you know this work yeah there's so much that we do throughout the year that uh it's not just it's of course submissions through the normal channels is is something that is part of our process every year but i think that as programmers, we are also playing such a, a long game and um, the work and the relationships that we are building over the years is something that then feeds into each festival we put together. So there might be a film that we're showing this year, but I probably have been in touch with that filmmaker or that producer or have been aware of that script for years. Um, I also think that, you know, my, my first job with Sundance was programming shorts. And that is, that is an art form that is really dear to me. I think that I have discovered so many filmmakers who have such a, um, a unique voice and through their work as, as short filmmakers. And just being able to see that um, at that stage is, um, is really um, part of my job that I take seriously and part of the, uh, and something that I think, I think I think often short films are seen as uh, like the the stepping stone to uh, making a feature, and I feel like short filmmaking is an art form in and of itself that I I really rely on to to uh, find talent that I'm excited about. Well, okay, so let's let's dig into that a little bit, Kim. Um, you got your start with Sundance, um, working on curating the short the short film program. How did you get started? Tell us about. Just give us a little snapshot of your own your own background. Uh, how did you find Sundance, or how did Sundance find you, and and how did you find your own interest, commitment to uh, exploring movies? My introduction to the independent film world was actually through. Um, a job that I had with Greg Araki. <laughs> um, I was his assistant on the Doom Generation. 
through that film, that was what took me to Sundance for the first time. Just being at Sundance and feeling the energy in, in a room when a film is premiering, meeting people who were in IndieWire. Um, it's, it's hard to explain. I mean, you know this too, this, this feeling that you have when you're in Park City. And that was something I never really forgot that that feeling of excitement that feeling of of kind of being the first <laughs> to see a film you know the first to to know about uh, this film that was going to go on to to do great things and then I I was accepted into and this is years later I was accepted into the program project involved through film independent and I met my mentor there, Kirsten Schaefer, who was the director of programming at Outfest. Um, and she hired me to program Fusion, the LGBT people of color film festival. And then, but then also just really trusted me to, to take on a bigger role in programming at Outfest. And so I eventually became director of programming there. And around the same time, I, I met a lot of the, the Sundance programmers because there's a long history of programmers who work at Outfest who also work at Sundance because you can actually do take on both jobs. Uh, <laughs> They're perfectly I'm, positioned in the exactly. calendar, right? Yes, you go a little insane after a while because it's too much work, but it is such a great way to meet the industry in a significant way. And I think that there's so much about my Outfest experience that really helped me become the programmer I am. And so um, so then I, I, after that, I think it, it's sort of like how you get programming jobs is it seems maybe it's different now, but I think at the time it was more like sort of who you know, uh, can these people trust you to make this, the, these important decisions? So um, Trevor Groth hired me as a shorts programmer and I've just sort of gradually worked my way up through, through Sundance. You're listening to the Film Comment Podcast. Sign up today for the Film Comment Letter. It's a free weekly digital newsletter featuring original film criticism and writing by Film Comment's editors and brilliant contributors. The letter delivers exclusive features, reviews, interviews, streaming picks, news, and more directly to subscribers' inboxes every Thursday before they're published on filmcomment.com the following Monday. Sign up today at filmcomment.com. I, I want to go back to that, to your first experience, because I, again, I just finished this panel where we were kind of talking about our first experiences at Sundance. And I, and, and it's, I think, a worthwhile one because, um, so nine, 1995 would have been the year that, that Doom Generation uh, premiered. Uh, Doom Generation, a film by Greg Araki with uh, Rose McGowan, Jimmy Duvall. Um, I can only imagine what, and I, I remember that, I remember seeing the film at Sundance that year. I remember seeing, uh, you know, I remember that, that, that moment of the, the early or mid nineties um, independent scene, you know, the way that independent film was crystallizing as a, and I'll say this both as a positive and a negative as a, as a, not only a commodity, but a, a legitimate segment within a broader industry. You know, Greg Araki certainly always has always has, has often worked 
in a scrappy or low budget way. But then at the same time, Doom Generation for him was also a turning point, right? Like in his own career. Um, so 95 Sundance is like such an important like turning point for individual filmmakers, for the festival itself. Um, so I wonder flashing forward how you, how those early experiences, my first Sundance in 93 is so like so much imprinted in my experience, in my mind. Uh, and I carry it with me in so many ways still, the relationships I made that first year. How do you think about, about connecting sort of your own, your own personal initial experiences with this festival that you now, for which you now run programming to the present experience, put aside the fact that we're not in Park City together, but curatorially and, and experientially, how do you think about the, the connections and, and trying to, to sustain something uh, in the, within the history and legacy that, that, that has existed now you know, for a long time? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. And, and it is something that I think quite a lot about because I feel like my early Sundance years are sort of in my, in my heart. Each year, I'm part of a programming team that is putting together a festival that gets a little bit bigger every year. No matter how much we try to, to kind of <laughs> keep it smaller and intimate, it, it just seems to grow. So I keep wanting to, to like look back to what were those kind of core feelings or like why, why that first Sundance meant so much to me. And to, to continue to make sure that we have those moments where it really is about the films and how do we how do we come back and make sure that each year people are paying attention to the films and not just worrying what's on what's on Main Street. Like I really want to revive the condo party. <laughs> I know IndieWire has played a part in in that over the years, but uh, but I that was part of what I I remember so vividly was cramming into one of those Park Ave condos that eventually the police come to to shut down because there's too many people crammed in there. Of course, that's not such a great idea in these moments, but there is just something so special about just making those connections at those funny crammed parties that that you just carry on through throughout the years and and of course people are able to do that all the time through through the films that we show i think the the healthy conversation that comes out of the work itself each year we're seeing that we will see that online this year it's those shuttle bus conversations. It's those conversations you hear when you're waiting in line at Starbucks or you're milling about the the, the uh, Marriott, or I'm sorry, the, the Sheraton, the Chariot, we call it, um, <laughs> lobby, <laughs> as you're eavesdropping to those people who are, are talking about a film that has just premiered. So it's sort of, Yeah. <laughs> Well, this year we're doing that. Um, we're doing that virtually. I don't want to get sidetracked into the analog versus virtual Sundance experience because uh, that's a whole other conversation for a whole other uh, for a whole other day. But the one thing I will say is that despite the the, the obstacles of and the, and the hurdles to not being able to be gathering in person and how much we miss that and gathering together in person and all of it, I think you spoke about it so well. Um, the opportunity that's in front of us uh, to uh, experience a festival that we could share with people around us, people in our social networks, people who, uh, or, or for folks who would never have the ability to travel 
to Utah to experience the festival, like that opportunity for the festival to come to them and to be available. I just, I get, I get weepy and nostalgic about like imagining what my own life would have been like if Sundance had been, if Sundance had been available to me as a kid in Indio, California, not having to, you know, to figure out how to, to go to Park City in 1993 and not having enough money and trying to figure out how to s survive there and get into parties to eat food so I wouldn't have to pay for any, like it, it's like, so, so, so we have this virtual opportunity to, to share an experience um, in a bit of a different way. And then we have this, uh, I want you to talk about this uh, spaceship or whatever, like Eric Cohn from IndieWire keeps telling me I have to get a VR headset to truly like experience it right. I'm, I'm pushing, pushing back on that. Um, but, uh, but folks can connect in a whole different way than uh, again this year and even more so this year than what you did last year. Uh, so I think I, I wanna give you a chance to elaborate on it a bit and plug it a bit too. Yeah, I think that it is such a, a great opportunity to reach audiences across the country. The fact that no matter where you are in the U.S., you can you can buy a ticket to see a film that we're premiering at the Sundance Film Festival. I think that's extraordinary and something that I was certainly would have taken advantage of, too, as a as a budding <laughs> film professional. I guess that's what I am. I'm not sure. Nevertheless, I do think that there are also ways to experience the festival that are completely, you know, completely new. And yes, Eric Cohn is a fan of, of his VR headset, but you don't need to have one in order to, to participate on the spaceship. Um, uh, there's a pass called the Explorer Pass, um, which also I think is a, is a great deal because you have access to um, all the short films that we're showing. You also have access to an amazing group of 40th anniversary shorts that our shorts programmers, uh, Mike Plant and Heidi Zwicker put together. And it's kind of a historical look at, at short films at Sundance. Some great work there. You mentioned Cheryl Denier's film. But to go back to the spaceship, this is the brainchild of of our new frontier curator, um, Shari Frilo. And it is a place where you can go and you can meet other festival guests. You can go to film after parties. There's even a uh, virtual Egyptian theater. It's sort of modeled after the Egyptian theater and there will be films screening there. Um, it's something that you can talk about, but it also you just have to experience it because I had... I had no idea I would have so much fun making my avatar jump and going into chat circles with people. And so this is something that I, uh, an aspect of the festival this year that I, I highly recommend people take advantage of. And it's also something that is, is available globally too. Cool. Well, I'm glad you mentioned it and I, am, I'm, I will find you and uh, join you in a chat circle. When I'm not uh, watching movies, I've got my schedule. Like I'm probably watching more movies at home uh, attending Sundance virtually than I would have ever had the opportunity to watch in person. So let's talk about the program just for a few minutes in the, in the few minutes we have left, Kim. As someone who's involved with curating a festival, the hardest question and the, and the question that we all um, struggle with the most is to, so I'm not, I'm not gonna ask you the question of themes and things like that, but, but maybe what I will ask you to do is just to draw some broad strokes for us because you've, you've, seen, you've seen all these films and we're, we're still um, discovering them and, and looking to discover them. So help us understand what this year's festival says about um, what this year's festival just says about the state of, of independent storytelling and of independent 
uh, filmmaking and series making right now? Give us some clues and some tips and some guideposts. Well, honestly, I think the thing that it says most of all about independent filmmaking is that it is alive and well, it is vibrant, it is resilient, it is innovative. I think one of the really interesting things we saw this year was the use of genre. Genre filmmaking is is through is is present in not only our midnight section where it is sort of traditionally housed, but it's in it's in our U.S. competition in a in a very significant way. To me, that that just is is the result of filmmakers looking for creative outlets as they are processing almost the like the horrors that we're living through um, in in our daily lives. Um, and so that was something that I, I I found really fascinating. I would point to a few a few films in our U.S. dramatic competition made by women too, where um, a film like Watcher, uh, where uh, which is a um, a really beautifully made psychological thriller uh, about you know basically a woman who is struggling to be believed. I feel like that there's some things that rang so true when I watched that film. A film like Master to Mariama Diallo, who made this amazing short called Hair Wolf that we showed years ago, um, that is just looking at, at being an, an outsider in an institution and just how... It, it, I've never seen a film sort of uh, capture how microaggressions work quite as well as 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 this film does. I think I want to. I would want to plug our our world cinema programming. Um, yeah. We put a lot of effort into the work we do internationally. Um, our programmers travel the world when we could travel. <laughs> now we do it by Zoom. But uh, our international relationships are really important to us. And the world cinema dramatic competition this year is, is incredibly strong. I think that each film within that particular program just sort of stands out as its own creative vision. Uh, you see a film like <laughs> Gentle about a, a Hungarian female bodybuilder. I've never seen a character like this on screen before and and just how sensitively and beautifully her her story is told as she's trying to kind of escape her her body and the the forces around her that are constricting her. And then our world cinema documentary competition, also incredibly strong. I think that that um, one of the anticipated films this year is the one about um, Sinead O'Connor, uh, Nothing Compares. It kind of speaks to something we also saw this year about a, a, a real reframing of, of history, uh, kind of a reclaiming of Sinead O'Connor too in this, in this moment that um, I'm really excited for people to, to experience that one. We're wrapping up, um, I'm, I'm jumping in with the final last word in the last minute and a half we have, Sundance starts the conversation and I, and I think that's something that we always, uh, that we always see and we will see as, as folks start to watch these films. Um, as a final question, Kim, in your, cur in your curatorial process, to what extent do you think about finding or seeing films that 
continue or connect to a conversation that's already happening culturally? And to what extent do you think about igniting a conversation, starting a conversation that might not already be happening? Yeah, I think that is inherent in each edition of Sundance, really. I think that the work in the in the festival speaks so much to each other in a way. And then it's also reflecting where we are in a in a given moment in our world, in our lives. And at the same time, I do think that the the work we are attracted to is looking for a new way into telling a story or looking at some at something in a way where it's sort of not easily processed. And so I think that's one of the really exciting things I see in our in our program each year is like it's these are these are films that are really challenging. We don't show easy films. And what I hope for each year is that these films ignite a conversation, that they ignite something within ourselves too, as human beings, as we take in this work and try to make make sense of our own lives and 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 hopefully helps us relate to each other in in new ways and exciting ways too. We've been uh, talking about the 2022 Sundance Film Festival with its director of programming, Kim Yutani, who's joining us from home in California. And a final plug to check out this year's uh, festival by uh, logging on to sundance.org and following the links from there to check out films, conversations, visit the spaceship for conversation and connection and appreciated the opportunity to just dig into the process a little bit and learn a little bit more about the festival and what makes you tick, Kim, and also what makes the festival the festival. So uh, thank you for taking the time uh, from all of us at, at Film Comment at Film at Lincoln Center. We appreciate it. We're wishing you the best for 2022. <laughs> thank you, Eugene. It's uh, always a pleasure to be in your presence. So thank you. The Film Comment Podcast features original music by Greg Einge. Film Comment is a publication of Film at Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has been the home of independent film journalism, publishing in-depth interviews, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, arthouse, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com. Thank you.